0: innovator and culture advocate. She's passionate about the design of communities, spaces, and experiences that connect people. She creates places that inspire interaction and enrich social experiences. She's a principal and the managing director of the New York office at Cooper Cary. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Lopatinsky, Welcome, Alex.
1: Thanks for having me, Dan. I'm excited to chat with you this afternoon.
0: I got your last name right. You are spot on. Um well I'm just really honored as with all my guests to just have your time here and hear a little bit about you. I know that you know we've been at many of the events at the same time. Um we run in the same circles and as an architect I'm really curious to get your because there's this also this there's back and forth between designers, architects, mm-hmm. architects, designers. Sometimes there's a grand alignment, sometimes there's you know these Venn diagrams, um, but like wearing that hat as a principal and managing director at Cooper Carey and being an architect, how do you define hospitality?
1: So Dan, that's a, I, I love that question because for me, yes, I am an architect and a designer. I think they're one and the same, honestly. Um, but hospitality is less about, in my mind, the physical place, but it's the emotional feeling you experience from entering it. Right? It is that you know warm hug you get when you walk into a small boutique space uh, hotel. It is the great feeling you have having an intimate dinner with a bunch of friends in a small restaurant with great wine and company. It's the welcome that you get walking into a reception area in an office building, right? It's, or a office floor, you know, does it make you feel like you are you should be there or, or does it make you feel like um, you're a stranger there, right? So that it's, it's, it, the design does emote or evoke the feeling in my and, mind.
0: And I think one of the things that again, without having that black and white definition of what hospitality is, one of the th- things that comes up repeatedly is this idea of warmth and feeling, yeah. which is kind of really hard to like get a binary definition. It's kind of like you you know it when you see it or not even see it. You know it when you feel it.
1: It It's that for sure. and And we all feel it differently, right? Because we use our personal past experiences to define what warmth is, right? You know, we may tie it back to our childhood experiences, right? Um, what What is warmth? What did warmth mean to you as a kid? Um, and and you use that feeling as you mature and, and grow older. Some of us may use um, experiences from our early adult years uh, as defining warmth. Um, some of it may be you know that personal interaction with the human beings in the space right it's um I think we when we were prepping for this I had mentioned uh, a friend of ours who had a restaurant in the city um oh yeah tiny little shoebox of a restaurant called Graffiti um and unfortunately it's, it's not there anymore but uh Jahangir Mehta who was the chef restaurateur could only fit about 20 people in this restaurant and the kitchen was like a closet in the, the back of the restaurant and he cooked everything on a hot plate and wow. you literally a hot plate literally a hot plate oh,
0: wow.
1: literally a hot plate or multiple hot plates and the food was <laughs> incredible um highly rated zaga rated restaurant um I mean he had a he had a great following at the time but where I'm going with this is that even though it was a small space and minimally designed, it was, it, it was probably the best example of hospitality because the people who worked there welcomed you like you were being welcomed into somebody's home. They sat you down into these intimate um, spaces for groups of four or six or even two and the fact that you were so close to the kitchen um and and you knew how he was preparing the food when you ate and drank you knew that it was you know kind of as if you were sitting in somebody else's kitchen and getting served dinner so that that experience and feeling of of hospitality um you know doesn't have to be a luxury hotel uh, and a resort and by the way that is hospitality too but um I think it comes in all scales is where I'm going with so that you can get that feeling of, of being
0: welcomed. So what are the things that I've been, I've been intrigued about um, in speaking with, I guess like um, they would be colleagues at yours, but at larger architectural firms where how many offices do you have now? We are currently three
1: offices, but we and are, Where are they? They're in Atlanta. We're headquartered in Atlanta, DC, and New York. Um, we have okay. over 350 employees. So we're not a small firm, but
0: no, we're I would not- say bit I would say that's on the bigger side. And especially yeah. when I, you know, before we spoke, I was looking um at all the different studios you have amongst right. those three offices. And it's everything from gra- graphic design to interdesign to hospitality to government to science and technology to transit and urban design and planning i mean it's it's this vast multidisciplinary firm where everyone's doing different things and i'm curious with you as you know focusing on the hospitality side do you bring a lot of the like how do you convey or are you ever asked to convey that feeling of warmth that that you feel hospitality is into those other channels where like science and tech like, maybe not, I, I don't know if I would consider that, but like, I'm really curious how you weave that feeling of warmth into all of your studios.
1: It's a great question and we do it all the time. And I, I'll stay, say that we start from the premise that Cooper Carey uh, works in a what we call a mixed use ecosystem. So at the core of it, of what we do is the disciplines we we design in, whether it's architecture and interiors or graphics or branding or landscape architecture, but what surrounds it are all these studios you just described, and they and we influence each other, right? And so um, we have worked on workplace projects where we are influencing the design of that workplace through, hus- through hospitality principles and creating these moments and areas of warmth and communication and um, gathering, right? Um, well we do it in our multifamily projects as well. So I would say yes, I work in the hospitality studio, but I also get to work in all these other studios as well and and be and I'm able to bring those concepts to the thinking around um, planting the seeds in in our early stages of design. And it we we see it in the industry too. I mean hospitality has absolutely influenced uh, all the different spaces we occupy.
0: Uh, I completely agree. And I think that's why this podcast has become something more than just a little hobby that I did, because I do believe hospitality is not limited, obviously not limited to hotels, but, and it touches everything. Yeah. Um, so I think every, we can all learn from it. And again, it's like, why not make others feel warm and heard and seen? <laughs> it's like, of, of course. Of course. I
1: mean, even think about like educational projects, right? Um, Schools for, for children. Why wouldn't you want to create environments even on the outside where these students can gather and be together and feel safe and feel Mm -hmm. welcomed or feel part of something, um, you know, instead of being in a a box where they're facing one direction uh, in a, in a classroom. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's here to stay, and let's put it that way. Where hospitality influences everything we do,
0: it is. And I think, and ta- going back to the introduction um, th- that I re- that I read out, um, I described you as a um, a culture advocate, an advocate of culture, or something like that. Yeah. Um, when you think about culture and hospitality, how how do you advocate? for hospitality or what, how do you define yourself as a, as a culture advocate within Cooper Carey and, yeah. and anything at, uh, further at large? Like, I'd love to dig into that. Um, like how you define culture and like how you're advocating for it.
1: Sure. Um, thank you for that question. Cause I, I would say first and foremost, I, I am a people person. I love to be around people. I love to listen. I love to engage with folks. And, you know, that's, that's a component of hospitality, if you will, right? But and that, but, I, but it is who I am as well. It's my upbringing, it's my education, it's my uh, luck of my professional experience and being and working with individuals who really value that social interaction uh, as a mechanism for success in everything we do, whether it's Designing a space or engaging with a client or um, talking about Cooper Carey, uh, it, it called cult, culture. The way I see it related to hospitality is that human uh, piece and what I do um, and have done my my pretty much my whole career, I would say, but certainly at Cooper Carey is make sure that we're all kind of talking to each other and building bridges um, to learn from each other. Uh, communication is a big part of that. Um, and so I'm, I, I'm sure that any Cooper Carrion that's listening to this, uh, who knows me, will will nod their heads uh, when I say, I like to bring people together and make sure everybody's talking to each other, right? Um, and uh, and I mean, literally talking to each other because I think that is the best form of communication and building culture. Um, and then I'm not putting down technology. Uh, it's, it's part of our life, but a, a phone conversation or, or a video conversation when you can hear people's intonation of voice, that sends a message, a feeling of connectivity. And that's part of culture, right? Being connected to each other, um, working together in a, in a in an environment that makes you happy.
0: And then I can imagine like everyone kind of went distributed and remote and now people yeah. are starting to come back together. Um, As you think about, I I don't think we've really figured out what that balance is yet. It's still like that marketplace of ideas uh, is still trying to self-determine itself. As as an architect and designer um, and also principal at a firm with 350 people, how are you bridging that gap or how are you guys thinking about that between... Internally, within your offices and your office, and also on the projects that you're working in.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you're right. We have not figured this out yet. We're still everyone in the globally. Um, what what is where are we going to land with it? I don't think anybody really knows yet. But at the core of all this is, I mean, certainly my belief um, is that our best work and our best collaboration is done in person. Um, does it have to be in person all the time, every day of the week? No, but striking the right balance of when that happens, I think, is really individual. Um, if in, not as an individual as a hum, as a person, but individual to the team, and the project, and the schedule. So, i and I'm speaking about architecture, right, and design um, only. I would imagine there's probably some really good data out there that supports what I'm saying um, and that collaboration is best done in person. Uh, We at Precari have a hybrid uh, flexible work model coming out of the pandemic. Um, And the way we make it work in New York really is all about communication, again. It's, it's, that word
0: it's, keeps coming up.
1: It really does. It's the special sauce. <laughs> because if you don't tell somebody or if you don't get an idea across in a way that, that uh, the, the person receiving it fully understands it, you're not communicating. Um, mm-hmm. And so we use all kinds of communication. We use teams and chats and emails and phone calls. Um, we have some requirements around when we want folks in the office you know and it's it's office based but it's also project based because we have project deadlines and sometimes we need everybody in the office multiple days in a row does that happen every week no but 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 we when we ask people respond i would say generally in a very positive way and i think although people don't tell me this <laughs> i think people are happy with the direction we've laid out um so that's how we manage it
0: awesome um so shifting back I want to get back into that feeling of warmth and I guess you know how everyone brings it from all different areas from their their childhood their different upbringings yeah. their life experience um can you walk us through a project that you may have worked on any at any point in your journey um, or your career that is just a really good or maybe one of your favorite i know all of your projects you love equally but is there anything that really exemplifies that conveyance of warmth and community that you could kind of talk us through
1: sure there is a project um worked on this maybe six, seven years ago, so it was prior to me joining Cooper Carey. but it is thing it is something that I bring to every project I work on now. Uh, the client was a nonprofit um, that was looking to build um, a business model around co-working, hospitality, and childcare, um, And we got to work on the pilot program for it. And one of the most interesting things about this project was uh, balancing the ethos of this nonprofit with the business um, requirements that they had, all through the lens of hospitality, right? So it was Co- the, the business was co-working in childcare, and what linked it together was hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, there were cafes and restaurants that were tied to it. But the underlying theme was all about creating a place that the community users of this, for lack of a better word, mixed-use hospitality place, um, felt welcome, felt embraced, felt like they were th- this was part of their community. Um, because that was the feeling that the nonprofit wanted. It was there. It was in their ethos, and it and it they wanted to have that in their business model for these locations across the the country. So to me, I, I that was the most rewarding of all the projects um, I've worked on to date. Uh, because of that, because of being able to translate that
0: for them. It's amazing how. I appreciate that so much. And just, it's amazing how in all of these conversations that I'm having, these themes come up. And just, I think it was maybe the last one, or I had a conversation with uh, Stephanie Hopkins from Marriott, and she was talking Mm -hmm. about an entrepreneur that inspires her. And she figured out this way to, um, I forget the the woman's name, but it was co-working Mm -hmm. and childcare. And when we were saying... Or you were saying before, not we. It was all you. We we haven't really figured it out yet. I'm I'm actually intrigued and curious that w- why this childcare and co-working thing hasn't really taken off a bit more because in this hybrid world, like why aren't we doing that? I know I was at the you know the Marriott headquarters. They they just built this new one and they actually put in childcare on the second or fourth floor. I forget. Yeah. And to me. I remember when I, my dad, he had this, uh, he had a factory in New Jersey when I was growing up. And I remember he wanted to, for for many of the women that worked there, he wanted to have childcare for them so that they could come and work and the kids were cared for because it's expensive and they didn't really know what to, like how to make it work. yeah But the bureaucracy Mm -hmm. of, and the cost of, dealing with the state of new jersey and trying to make this happen it was just it was there was such a tremendous barrier to entry and as an architect i'm sure you're dealing you know with so many um laws and ordinances and yeah. um is there a way to kind of break through that because to me i think that that uh, that also helps solve an employment challenge that we're having currently in the united states and probably globally as well
1: you know You'd think we could make this simpler and easier to make happen. Um, And I'm sure we could, but the regulatory aspect of childcare, at least from the experience I had in doing this project, first of all, differs from state to state. Um, And in some states, it's more, you know, regulated to the point where, you know, they basically prescribe the box for you, right? There's no design involved. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 you have to layer on those regulatory requirements on top of codes and local zoning requirements. So it, it gets complicated to make it happen. Now, there's always a solution. There's always a way to figure it out. Um, and I would imagine that some really smart people <laughs> could get into a room together to to do that because I agree with you. This should be something we could easily solve for the current you know challenge we have in getting folks to be in the office and manage their lives outside of the office. Right? Um, Childcare is a big deal. It's incredibly yeah. expensive. It's hard mm-hmm. to find one that can cover you know your day the way you need it to, and those employers who do you provide it for their employees. I think that's a that's a phenomenal thing. Um
0: yeah, and I'm also thinking just of you know the the square footage footprints that so many large corporations have that you know they've had leased out since before the pandemic and like as as they start to reevaluate people coming back to work. Yeah. You know, they're not going to need as much space cuz they'll probably be able to stagger yeah. who's there, but yeah. if they have all this extra space, I'm like why not allocate some of that to childcare. to me it just seems like a no-brainer and i'm sure there's a lot of different ideas in there but it it, i think it would just help so much uh, from a macro sense
1: yeah i you know well you know you have to think it's similar to kind of school design right you have to think about outdoor play area you have to think Mm -hmm. about certainly also the ages that you are um covering there you know infants versus toddlers versus you know after school care you have different requirements in terms of space for that so isn't it's not necessarily oh we've got this you know half a floor plate let's turn it into child care you have you have to think about all of the um additional programmatic spaces that you need and as well as security right you have to think about that Um, so uh, and I would imagine a lot of employers who have office space don't have anybody internally that could manage that for them, right. Or even knows how to manage that for them. So you know, thinking about, you know, do you outsource that and how do you outsource that? And, you know, there's, mm. I, like I said, I am sure there's an answer out there to make it happen. There are employers that have done this um, but they tend to be larger employers who, who have, uh, the opportunity to to carve out that space to provide for their employees.
0: Yeah, and again, it kind of ties back to where you said we haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> I feel like that has to be a component into it. Um, yeah. Okay, so now okay. I, I want to shift gears a little bit into you know your career arc. You know, as a principal and managing director of the New York City office for Cooper Carry, that's amazing. And I'm a firm believer that we all stand on the shoulders of those before us. So if you think about how you describe hospitality and this idea of warmth and communication and coming together, is there any um, mentor or inspiration along your career journey that exemplified that the best that you kind of moved on or has taken with you and paid it forward, so to speak?
1: I've had some amazing mentors. I'm one of those very lucky people, I think. they were all males in this profession because there weren't women <laughs> in leadership roles. Um, I would, I've would, i had two or three that have really impacted my trajectory in our, my career, but I, I would say my biggest mentor is my dad. Um, oh. My father's a civil engineer. Um, my mom's an artist, so oh. imagine that, engineer, artist, Me influencing an architect, right? Um, but my dad, it was less about his professional experience, but more his what was in his DNA around leadership, um, which really, I think, influenced me the most. And that DNA around leadership came from his experience and my experience um, were Ukrainian-American. I was born here. My folks um, came here as refugees after the Second World War. Um, and were, my dad's family were um, uh, come from a line of Ukrainian scouts who established scouting. Actually, were part of establishing scouting in Ukraine back in 1918 um, or 1912, I should say. Um, and the the attributes of scouting, right, and leadership and setting um, kind of the right tone around working within your community we lived and breathed it growing up in my family, but we were also members of Ukrainian scouting. I uh, happened happen to be a member of the New York troop, but those um,
0: like your boy Scouts, girl Scouts. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But in Ukrainian.
0: Wow.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, so I think the, those elements of scouting and leadership and mentorship and, you know, you, the idea of doing it together and always being surrounded by those influencers Um, and my dad really being the one um, never pushing us into it, but just talking about it. And it was, you know, it was always, you know, over here on the, on, on this side of my, my head um, to this day, to this day. Um, So when, when I work with folks and I've done this, numerous times, I think sometimes about, well, what would my dad do in this situation, right? Um, how would he handle it? Uh, so that's, I, I do believe that my attitude towards building community within Cooper Carey or within my teams or how I mentor others does come from my dad's um, uh, influence and mentorship on me. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I got, were you a girl scout? I was, I still am, by the way, No way. I am. Oh my God. I am. Yeah, I am. My kids are, my kids are. Thin
0: thin mints are my favorite.
1: Well, I'm not an American girl scout. I'm a Ukrainian Uh, girl scout. So we don't do cookies, uh, but you know, we do other fun stuff. Um, That's
0: wow. That's amazing. So you're a Ukrainian girl scout.
1: I am. Yeah, wow. the organization is called Plast, P L A S T, um, and we've got in the Amer- in the North American diaspora between the U.S. and Canada, we've got lots of locations, um, and you know we're going on third generations of Ukrainian Americans being part of this.
0: Okay, so then I, I, the elephant in the room then is with all the insanity going on in Ukraine right now. What mm-hmm. are some of the largest initiatives that Plast? Is taking on right now in in North America?
1: Yeah, uh, since the war escalated in February 22, um, PLOST has been integral in uh, supporting through fundraising for humanitarian aid for um, for the refugees coming here. Individuals are contributing on an individual basis, but the organization is also, you know fundraising and doing all kinds of things, uh, getting medical supplies over. In the beginning, there were a lot of troops that were putting together first aid uh, kits, right? They were they were packing stuff up, sending it to Ukraine for immediate use, um, clothes, food, diapers, you know, um, very, very active. Um, and of course there's Ukrainian scouts in Ukraine who have volunteered to fight on the front, right? Both men and women. Um, mm-hmm. And my personal um, sorority group and, and older scouts are, belong to sororities and fraternities. We do actually have some members of our sorority who are actively fighting. And these are women and who are mothers who are fighting on the front.
0: Um, it's so interesting. I'm actually looking on my computer right now because through this podcast, um i think it was literally just today i don't know how to find it i got someone a woman from ukraine reached out she's in the hospitality industry and um wow and i I was thinking wow she must be experiencing some incredible stuff right now
1: it's intense i mean it's i mean this is and then i was also
0: like how are they how is she accessing? I guess that's all that Starlink stuff, right? They're not yes. fully cut off, right?
1: Yes, mm. they're not fully cut off. They are very connected. Um, you know, I mean, it's horrific what is happening mm. on that end. On the other side, they are very connected um, and very Western in everything. You know, they're, you know, let, let's not discount their their connection to Europe and um, the rest of the world for the last 30 years since Ukraine gained its independence from um, the Soviet empire. But people are moving on. People are living their lives. People Mm -hmm. aren't stopping and saying, you know, they're saying, why is this happening to me? But what am I going to do once this war is over and rebuilding Ukraine? And that's happening through the diaspora around the world and it's certainly something um as a as an individual i'm thinking about but we've also as a firm wanna you know we're looking at ways that we can help rebuild whether it's going in and helping replan something or Hmm. provide some temporary shelter um ideas or or when when the war finally ends and we are actually building buildings again how can how can Cooper Carey contribute to that? Um, I know it's it's. I hope others are feeling the same way because um, there's going to be a lot yeah. of rebuilding that's going to have to happen after this is oh, over.
0: From an order of magnitude as it relates to PLOST, like is there a like a a number uh, that has been fundraised or an, an amount of aid that's been um, brought over to Ukraine?
1: You know what they're sent there- over. There I am sure there is. I just don't know what it is off the top of my head. We could probably, you know, Google it. Um plus. I can a...
0: imagine, like if you think about the supply lines in any in any war, like that's really the most critical thing. And it seems that with Ukraine, like there are so many Ukrainians in North America. So many. And they're all <laughs> they've all well, not I'm not, I don't want to make sweeping generalizations, but I'm sure many of them have done very well. And I'm sure many of them are sending over a tremendous amount of uh money and material
1: yes yes um, there yes there are very i just they're... found
0: out i'm sorry i and i just found her name her name's like yulia kosenko and she's mm-hmm. with this ukrainian hotel group in called rebus r-i-b-a-s so i um
1: i'm writing it down
0: yeah i'm gonna send her a copy of this uh yeah. and just kind of talk, redirect talk her, her here Absolutely. yeah this will be amazing
1: do you know where she's from Does it say?
0: uh i'm not let's see if i look there sorry guys i normally try not to look at my computer when i'm doing these Um, sorry
1: probably should talk about this afterwards
0: (laughs) oh no that no this is like this is timely and yeah and pretty exciting so i I
1: just want to you know i want to make sure that we are um identifying there are lots of nonprofits in north america that are part of fundraising it's not just um There's, oh, I'm sure, but the, there's, and, but... and there are some very generous Ukrainian Americans who mm. have really leaned in and generous with their money, but also with their time. Um, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that how can you not participate mm. in some way to be part of the support for this country that is fighting for the rest of the world, in my opinion. Hmm.
0: Um, it's. Well, a lot of it is written in Cyrillic and I'm not good at okay. that. So I couldn't tell send you we'll how to me, do it later. Send yeah. it to
1: me, I'll read it. <laughs> I, I, I got to brush up on
0: it. I can barely read English, so <laughs> or like the 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 English alphabet, so uh anyway. Um okay, so that's really amazing on on your dad and his DNA and that whole idea of leadership. If you were to think about on your career path, and I know that a lot of what our parents say to us we always take with us. Yeah. Um into every arena, but who, who on your career path would have made you feel that warmth or teach or show you a way or, or a technique to express that warmth either within a company or on a project that you're working on?
1: Yeah. So I would say my first boss, Um, I was lucky enough to work for a very small firm in New York Um, at the time when I was still in college and still in architecture school. um, I went to Pratt for those of you who are curious, uh, so um, I got to do this. I had a summer internship with this small firm, um, and one of the partners there was uh, a family friend. So you know, again, connections through my dad. But the way that the the partners ran the the firm was through this very open communication. Um, took me under my, under their wing, and I believe gave me the opportunity to see every facet of the profession um, and what it took. Um, And so worked there as a summer intern, graduated, worked there as as a, you know, emerging architect um, and got to do everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) at a very young age um, and got to experience and get exposure to everything. And, And the way that happened really was that Um, warm embrace, figuratively, of my mentor, showing me the way, you know, taking me places, including me in things, having conversations uh, with me about it. And it set, it really set the tone of how one should behave as you, as you interact with people. Um,
0: And what was that? What was his name?
1: George Sawicki. um, The firm was... um, at the time was Greenfield Sawicki Torella. I think it's now just Sawicki Torella these days. Uh, Got it. uh, But, uh, and George is retired now. (laughs) But I do get to see him every once in a while. Um, But he, he, I believe, put me on a a platform that I could make a really big leap in my next career jump um, because of the exposure he had given me. I'm sure if he's listening to this, he'd be, he'd say, why did not you stick around? But
0: <laughs> he'll send yeah. you a thank you card
1: um, I, I am for sure. giving
0: him a shout out. I'm
1: sure. Uh, so sure. then that
0: also goes back to the idea of how this whole workplace thing hasn't figured itself out. Right. Because here George is kind of, I think you said, taking you under his wing yep. and kind of showing you that, the gray areas of how we do things, right? It's all those things that you kind of have to show. It's not like you're learning it out of a out of a, a process manual, right? A hundred percent. And then with all the communication and culture that you're talking about, Cooper Carey and your team or the company at large, what are ways that you're kind of cutting through this hybrid workplace so that you're able to pay what George showed you forward?
1: Yeah, well... I encourage my folks to come into the office more than the three days a week that we have uh, as our policy. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's, it is a show and tell experience. I would hope that some of the folks that work with me um, see the value of being in the office when we're all there. Um, and it's not just me taking certain people places. It's also just... Listening to the over listening to the conversations I'm having with others, right? Overhearing conversations. I mean, we have an open office environment, so everybody hears everybody's uh, conversation. Um, so, I you know, I do believe some of the younger talent that I'm surrounded by does see the value in it and are starting to see. You know what? Maybe if I'm in the office more. I will connect with Alex more and maybe I'll have an opportunity to go site visit with Alex, client meeting with Alex, networking with Alex, right? And, and, and spread the word to those mm-hmm. who aren't necessarily doing that, right? I mean, obviously I can't be everywhere and I don't wanna be everywhere, but you know, <laughs> but if I can get three or four people to start doing what I'm doing, that just exponentially pushes out that idea of of mentoring and 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 growth and warmth about and and how we get to be better at what we do.
0: Totally, and it's actually interesting. I was just talking to someone the other day. So, people who reach out, like I get a lot of feedback on the podcast, or I should say, we because it takes a village. But um, one of the, one little channel of feedback. Is I'm going to call them kids, but it's like it's like students who are at Pratt or other universities. I think University of Cincinnati, um, where is it? Cornell. Yeah. Where are the other one? Like a uh, couple from. Oh my gosh! Uh, War Eagle, Auburn. Like all yeah. these people who have these like kind of cool hospitality and design overlay things yeah. going on.
1: Yeah.
0: And also interns who are just starting out or people because I think that one of the roles that this podcast is serving is it's that water cooler talk that's kind of missing or waiting in line. I don't know if people wait in line for copies anymore, but like it's it's that walking past each other, (laughs) um, you know, using the fax machine, just kidding. But, um, people are like, Oh, wow. Thanks. This is really cool. It gave me some new perspective or I was intrigued by hospitality design. Um, and I think that that it's kind of filling a void that's been left in this hybrid
1: uh, yes, this is this this part of interaction outside of at least for us project work is still part of the profession, you know yeah. I mean, it to, to 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 learn everything about architecture takes a really, really long time. It's not, you know, you don't graduate from architecture school and you're baked. It just, Mm -hmm. you're just getting started. And, you know, you can learn to put a building together or learn to create a space, but there's so much more to the practice of architecture. And those other bits, to to your point, filling in those gaps, is this, it is this human interaction piece. It is being together. Um, And yes, I do remember fax machines. Oh, by the way.
0: I love fax machines <laughs> yeah. uh, or a telex machine. So, oh, that too. Yeah. Um, so, as you you know, look, we just did a little journey, like looking back over your career, mm. Girl Scout, school, first mentor. You know, now a leader in a big company. Um, as you look forward, what's exciting you most about the future?
1: I have to tell you, I'm so excited about seeing, at least in my profession, more women entering it and stepping in as leaders and not just like a trickle, but big numbers and, and it's not just women, but diverse members of our society entering the profession and influencing different ways to figure things out, bringing other ways of solving problems to the equation, bringing their personal experiences that can be so varied to solving the problems. That I am, I am thrilled about that, and I'm excited to see that growth happen. Um, I'm, I'm an optimistic person, generally mm-hmm. speaking, so. I always like to see the bright side of things. And so I, I want to make sure that in order for these women to stay in this profession, I want to make sure we influence the, the, the place that um, sets them up for success so that they mm. can pursue their career and do other things that had stopped women in staying in the profession in the past.
0: Yeah. Most um, of it was
1: child rearing. Uh, and yeah and well like you know
0: it's that uh co-working yep child care thing which yep. I'm sure is a, a mosaic like a, a mosaic in the overall solution not like it's a part of it and it just needs to be figured out and I, as you're saying that I'm also thinking you know you look at some countries where women or other members of society are subjugated or not allowed to enter the workforce or Mm -hmm. whatever or just you know they're just kind of pushed off to the sides
1: yeah
0: it's really obviously in my opinion terrible but it's also so limiting because you're you're right intelligence opera um I guess like intelligence and skill and um just brain power is is distributed evenly across all people, all sexes yeah and when you're subjugating or limiting those people from entering or being a part of it, you're leaving half you're you're leaving half or 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 more of your of your potential on the table or not even on the table like where it's not
1: even getting and, to the table
0: yeah, it's not even getting to the table and it yeah. just it blows my mind and then you know to hear you say, what's exciting you about the future is having all these women and other people entering the 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 workforce in droves as far as like architects right because you originally said when you started it was all males Um, well
1: it was mostly males mostly yeah but
0: it
1: it wasn't 90 plus 90 plus yeah i would suppose you know i i will say I graduated in a class. Mm-hmm. I think we had forty students graduating. It was a, we started two hundred. I think we ended mm-hmm. up at forty uh, after five years. We maybe had fifteen women. So that's not a big number, but it was it was a pretty decent number. Mm-hmm. I would say out of that percentage when we graduated to today, perhaps five of us are still practicing. That's a I mean, that's a big loss. I think yeah. you don't want to lose that population and to, to just close out the idea of not getting those diverse ideas at the table that stifles innovation. Right. And so do, do you really want to be in a place where you're going to limit your ability to innovate because you're not bringing diverse ideas to the table and diverse yeah. ideas come from people who have different experiences. And solve problems differently, um, and being different doesn't mean that it's bad. It's totally. just different.
0: Well, and that's what that's what I was trying to say. I couldn't think of the word, but talent—that's it. Talent yeah. is uniformly distributed. Yeah. Opportunity is not. Correct. Right. Correct. So, yeah. and it's also interesting. I just got feedback on this. I don't know. Someone was looking back at all the past guests and. I don't know, I forget who it was, but they were like, Oh my gosh, I love that you're all of the guests that you have on, and there's so many women. And <laughs> I'm like, Oh wow, I didn't even think about that. But if you think about it, that's pretty awesome. And that is
1: pretty awesome. I'm
0: just I'm glad to be a part of it. Thanks for ha- thanks for inviting me along yeah. for the ride. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I should say the same to you. Thank you for inviting us. Now I I, I would say, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know. There are enough studies out there that have been done that diverse, at least in design, diverse design ideas uh, create better solutions. Um, so there's data to support this. This isn't somebody sort of just saying, you know, muscling their way in. There is there is logical, factual data that says
0: totally. And and to me, ideas. I think I think design, I think the definition should be kind of modified to be really just problem solving so like exactly what, what whether do. you're yeah whether you're designing graphics a building legislation a paper or like you're writing an essay a book you're really designing everything it's it's refinement and it's thinking it's getting all the ideas out and then like it's solving the problem of how do you find that correct solution or the best possible solution and I, I I'm also surprised that this idea of design as a problem solving method is not taught to kids. Like you can learn fine art. You can learn how to write a paper. You can learn how to do math problems, but they're not really calling it design. It's not. And, and I think that there's a way to bring that all together to, to really just be designing our lives.
1: Yes. I mean, everything we do, we, we design it. Right. And it is the problem solving aspects of, it's not just architecture or or interiors or graphics mm. or branding. It's IT. It's, you know. Yeah. Cars, car design. I don't know. It's it's, it's everything. It's everything. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So now I want I want to go into like the little time machine question. I love asking people. Um when did you join when when did you first become a Girl Scout?
1: Oh gosh. Uh I think I was six or seven.
0: Okay. So I want you to go, the the Alex I'm talking to now go, I want you to go into a time machine back to your six or seven year old self. Yeah. And I want you to give yourself some advice. What would that be?
1: Be more courageous. Yeah. Um, that that's really it. You know, don't, um, don't worry about what other people think. You know what you need to do. Go do it.
0: And how do you take that idea of being courageous and kind of teach that to others so as to shorten their journeys to being more courageous? I say
1: it all the time, Dan. I say it all the time. Every conversation I have with somebody who, you know, is trying to solve for something or, you know, or is stuck you know, over analyzing something, right? And I stop them and I say, You got this. Go do it. Have the courage to do it. You may not have all the answers, but you can figure it out later. But be confident in what you're doing.
0: I love it. Um, I And
1: I, it, it's really, I wish I had learned that a long time ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, inertia can be the mind killer, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and it's, I, I also think that um, I have two kids. Um, I have a daughter and a son and I, and my daughter, I think is naturally courageous, but, you know, through society and, you know, exposure, girls tend to lose that courage at a certain point in their lives and, and, you know, sometimes it comes back and sometimes it doesn't. And I talked to my daughter about this all the time, you know, she'll overanalyze, but she has an inherent quality about courage, which I'm so impressed with. I, I wish I had that. So, but, but still even telling her, you know, you got this, you know, it, you got this, go do it. Um, I, 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 I wish I had people telling me that when I was 25, <laughs> Uh, maybe they did, but I wasn't listening.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we could all use a little bit more courage and get out of our cowardly lion suits, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I gotta rewatch The Wizard of Oz. Um, <laughs> Alex, I've appreciated this time with you so much. Um, how can how can people learn more about you or Cooper Carey? What's a good way for them to make that yeah. happen?
1: Dan, likewise, I appreciated the time you took to, to chat with me. Uh, the best way is to visit our website at www.coopercarry.com And Cooper is with a C and carries with a C. Um, and you can find me on the website under leadership. Um, you could also look me up on LinkedIn. Um, and Dan, I don't know if you're going to be sharing any of, the, of my email address or any of the information in your podcast, but
0: um no we'll i think freak. i'll just leave it like that we'll uh got it some people like their email address but you know i think you probably get a, your inbox is probably not I get, empty I, right now I, yeah. I get a lot of i get a
1: lot of <laughs> I get a lot so of we'll
0: say we'll save you there linkedin <laughs> is the you. good way um LinkedIn is a good way
1: absolutely
0: so but alex again and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna connect you with that uh that woman from ukraine with Julia. Yeah. With Yulia, thank you. See, it already left me. Um, right. I'll do that right after this. But again, thank you. Thank you thank for your time. You. Thank you for your insight. And thank you for your courage for being on here.
1: <laughs> thank you. And thank you for having courage to talk to me.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh, that's that's not a problem. I'm honored. Um, and also I just want to thank all of our guests because without or not our, I want to thank all of our listeners. There we go. Because again, we keep growing every single week and without you, I probably wouldn't be doing this anymore because I feel like I've struck a nerve and it's just really awesome. Um, So thank you. And if this has changed your idea on how you give or receive hospitality or design it, please share it. We're all word of mouth. um, And thank you.